0: everybody hello again and welcome back to another episode of the welch report with me jean luc welch make some noise clap it up get excited wherever you are we are back with another jam-packed action-packed episode for you today, covering the world of sports, both in the NBA and with the mega event of boxing happening this weekend. We're gonna cover Jokic and Jamal Murray and the Denver Nuggets beating the Los Angeles Lakers takeaways from that game as the NBA season has finally become underway. What problems did I see, as well as what are the best outcomes for these teams from this game one? Yes, I know it's a reach, but even still, things need to be talked about for the upcoming for the rest of the season, what this potential game could show as an outlook for both of these teams, as well as the Suns and Warriors face up against each other, and I'm going to do the same thing with those games, or rather that game, takeaways from both of those teams, and what that means for them going forward in this very, very, very young, spry, new NBA season, as well as covering Tyson Fury versus Francis Ngannou this Saturday, the mega event of the combat sports world, who's going to win, of course we already know, but I'm still going to Break it down. How is this fight going to go, and what this potentially will see happen afterwards? For Tyson Fury and Alexander Usi. oh, we we might be getting our best Christmas gift ever of an actual undisputed heavyweight champion being crowned around Christmas time. All that's gonna be talking about here on this episode of the World Report. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Please leave a like on the video. Comment your thoughts and opinions. Subscribe to the channel and share the show with everybody that you know so we can build up this empire together. We're almost at 500 subscribers. Let's make this happen so we can make this community one of the biggest communities in all of the sports talk world sports podcasting we're just a sports world in general yes humble beginnings can lead to a very thriving and dominant empire that takes over the whole globe of the sports world that can be us and we can't do it without your help so thank you again for taking our time to listen to the show we're also available on every podcasting platform available apple spotify google you name it we're on it if not Tell me, and I'll get on it quick and in a hurry. But with all that out the way, I was time to cover the world of sports, and it's time to get into the NBA. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. I thought that was going to be the wrong sound. I'm not going to lie, but I tell you what, that is the right sound because there is some concern in Laker land. Yes, sir. California is having some sort of crisis as the Lakers fall to the Denver Nuggets in their opening game of the season in a game where Jokic had a completely different. Showing it performance, looking like an early MVP leader for this season. Having 29, 13, and 11 point triple double. Insane. Again, excuse me, 29 points, 13 rebounds, and 11 assists Um, on a crazy efficiency. Dominating the game, looking effortless as usual. This Nuggets team from this performance looks absolutely, I mean, it looked like they haven't lost a beat. Everything that we were saying about them losing uh, Brown and losing some of the other quote-unquote core pieces that were on this team last year that got into a championship, now all that may be quelled. All that noise needs to be shut up right now, because this team doesn't look like they're missing a step with any piece on their roster. They come outside of Brown, who was one of the, again, major pieces on that team, understandable. So... Everybody else in that team is about there. I, I believe the rest of the core nine that were on that roster are still on their roster. We were making a big deal about them losing one or two of their other pieces when they still had a plethora of other pieces around them, in terms of around Dokic and Jamal Murray, that would still be able to produce. We might have overlooked that going into this season. But now we can put all that to bed. This team beating the Lakers 119 to 107 looks just like they're still in prime position to win the championship. This team still looks the same, still as dominant offensively, still as free-flowing, just as unpredictable on the offensive end because of Jokic running the floor and him being able to hit anybody at any given time. Master of misdirection. Master of hitting pinpoint holes in the defense. It's, it's sublime. You can't guard them one-on-one as the Lakers try to do and you can't double team him or he'll just dime the, the most open man and most likely the position that you don't see coming and boom have another assist and get keep the momentum flowing for the offensive squad this team looks like it is still built to win a championship potentially with ease with the way that they're looking again Aaron Gordon 7 for 11 Jokic 12-22 Jamal Murray 8 of 13 Catavius Caldwell Pope had 20 points. About five, every starter had above 10 points in this game. It was an evenly distributed, evenly effective game on all fronts. And their bitch came to play as well. This team is set and primed and ready to continue their dominance as the best team in the NBA, at least looking like. Again, we have to see what the Celtics and the Bucs are going to look like after, after their first season games. But right now, it is incredibly hard and probably on my front and the best of the NBA's front, maybe incredibly disrespectful that we have been already putting other teams as the best team in the league prematurely, especially with the move. I mean, I get it with the moves that we saw in the offseason with the Boston Celtics getting Chris Porzingis, and other pizzas, with the Milwaukee Bucks getting Damian Lillard and re-signing Giannis couple of three more years, $183 million. All that, we get it. We understand why we're putting them as team number one and number two, but we have let's look at reality. Let's back check a little bit. I'll say I was wrong. We may have been wrong about this, and we may be looking at the legitimate best team in the NBA in the Denver Nuggets. Top to bottom, everybody can produce, everybody can perform, everybody, for the most part, stays healthy, and this type of offense that they run, coupled with the size to be able to play defensively fairly well against anybody in the league. I'm not saying they're a great defense team in terms of, oh, they just lock down and just make jokers quit, but I am saying, just like last year, they got size, they got strength, they got length, and they can shoot, they can run out in transition. And when they get hot, this team is nigh impossible to stop. And they're never out of a game with Jokic at the helm. This team is built to win a championship. It's going to be very scary to see how this team is going to continue dominance. And if other teams cannot get to that same level of consistent production, yeah, we can very well see this team win another NBA championship this year. My goodness, this team looks scary. This team looks so overwhelming because the way that they play just makes it seem like it piles on the points from every given direction. It's not like, okay, we only have to key in on one guy and then boom, we can stop. I mean, of course, that's what you do with any team. Yes, understandable. But with the way that this team is constructed, everybody is able to eat and everybody can eat well. And you can quickly see this team go on a 10, 12, 14-0 run in a heartbeat with how explosive their offense can be. With Michael Porter Jr. being a knockdown shooter. Literally, the the, the the quintessential quick trigger sniper. And by quick trigger, I mean the second he's, back, he's catching the ball, he is not passing. It's going up. And more often than not, it's been going in. Again, he was a great three-point shooter last season. I wish you would drive more on the inside and use that length and athleticism to up and become a better, more well-rounded interior threat in terms of being able to slash through the hoop, as well as being a three-point sniper. But hey, it's worked and it got him a championship. Don't go away from it. Cartavius Carwell Pop, already a champion, shot and blew 40% from three last year, continuing that success this year, scoring twenty points in this game. Everybody on this team has a, is able to be a spark plug. Catavious can get hot from three. Porter can get hot from three. Jamal Murray, we already know he can eat anybody alive when it comes to defenses in the NBA. And then Jokic is Jokic. A couple of that were Braun and the others on the bench being able to come up and produce. With Reggie Jackson as well, who played well on the Clippers. As a bench player and as a starter, now becoming another leader for the second unit? Oh, yeah, this team is built to thrive. This team is built to succeed. And this team is built to win a championship this year, absolutely. Oh, we can't over, we, we, there's no more. No more will I be just overlooking the Nuggets. I ain't doing the right now. I didn't overlook them last year. But I didn't expect them to still be this in rhythm this early let's call it right now. Yeah, this team is, is, there's a reason why it's one of the favorites to win a chip. This team's going to be exciting to watch. It's going to be hard to stop. Incredibly hard to stop. Then on the flip side, with the Los Angeles Lakers, Anthony Davis, what the world were you doing? One of the biggest problems with the Los Angeles Lakers, with all the retooling, with all the new pieces, with all of the added talent and added depth that this team supposedly had on this roster. When would it, one, when would it come together? And two, Will it all be bolstered with Anthony Davis and LeBron playing at their highest level? With LeBron being healthy? With AD being essentially, or rather, seemingly, being on a new found road of destruction with his mentality as he's talked about in the offseason? With them being saying he wanted to play the Nuggets, he can't wait to play them because they're talking all the smack. With them saying he wants to play all these two games, this, that, and the third, all this speak, Weeks of wanting to turn over, not not turn over a new leaf, but get back to an old leaf of dominance like it was in New Orleans. Dominance like you had when, he, when they won a the championship in 2020. That is how Anthony Davis and the rest of Los Angeles Lakers were looking to be poised to make noise for come this season. And what happened? The complete opposite. Or rather the complete opposite to a certain extent. What this Nuggets team, being so much an overwhelming threat on the offensive end. The Lakers, for the first half of the game, looked completely outmatched, just like in the offseason. Or rather, just like last season in the playoffs, when they got swept. And then what happened? We saw LeBron become LeBron, have 21 points, look fully healthy, look fully focused, look like nothing was going to impede him. Dominant player driving to the hoop. Could do whatever he wanted. Again, he missed some threes, understandable. But outside of that, he looked like LeBron, which was great. Anthony Davis looked like Anthony Davis, which was phenomenal. Dominant, 17 points, doing whatever he wanted to on the interior front of of the defense against the Nuggets. Looking like, okay, he's he's living up to it. He's he's, He's living up to the expectation that we've been looking for. Then comes the second half. LeBron gets set out after 29 minutes because he's on a minute restriction and Anthony Davis doesn't score a point for the rest of the game. Doesn't score a point for the rest of the game. After, again, with LeBron on the floor, they brought it within five after being down nearly 20. And then they just wet the bed outdoors. This spells some serious trouble because everything with this team it's predicated on LeBron and AD, specifically AD. Anthony Davis needs to be a man to average 25 and 15, 25 and 12, 27 and 11 with the same level of defense that he said all his career. And he couldn't do nothing against Jokic. Now, granted, Jokic right now is the best player in the world. Let's get that out the way. Jokic right now is the best player in the world continuing his dominance from last season to this season against one of the better-known defensive players in the entire league. He just had his way with him, and nobody on defense could do a thing about him, one-on-one or a double-team. He's the best player in the world right now. That's understandable. With that out the way, still, Anthony Davis wasn't able to do a thing on the offensive end either. And, and what did I say about this, About specifically about Anthony Davis last season? He needs to put it together on both fronts. He cannot play the way he's been playing, having one half of the ball great and the other half of his, of his game being absolutely abysmal. Or one half of play being great and then another half being utterly abysmal. That is what Anthony Davis has been doing. And that's the problem when it comes to Anthony Davis as a player. And that's why this Lakers season is so predicated on him specifically. If he comes and shows up and with LeBron playing like LeBron, we will see this team legitimately have a shot at the title. If we don't see Anthony Davis play like Anthony Davis, we will see this team falter. That's what the makeup of this whole team is. Now I get it. New pieces, all that stuff comes into play, comes into a real factor. Getting Gabe Vincent, getting Ken Reddish, getting everybody that's newly acquired, Get are uh, acclimated to the system of the Los Angeles Lakers. This is going to take time. This isn't like the Nuggets who kept their whole core together, and everybody knows what needs to be done. And so they're just, in, they're, it's not nothing new. It's not. They're not out of rhythm. With, all, with the overhaul of the Los Angeles Lakers, okay, yeah, stuff needs to be different. It's going to take some time to gel and get the real core roster that's going to make this team great together. It's probably going to take about 15 games. If it takes more than 20, we got a problem. But it's probably going to take about 15 games for them to get fully comfortable with what they need on their roster. What the best lineup is for. Both in starters and on the bench. But they had some bright spots on this team, regardless of everything that I've been saying. Torian Prince played phenomenal. Played insane. A great 3 and D piece. Catch-and-shoot contested, catch-and-shoot open from three, knows his role, played his role, did a phenomenal job. Loved him, loved him, loved him. He keeps that up for the rest of the season. He's going to be a bright spot for this offense. Again, LeBron being LeBron, was able to be great when he did get to play. When he's taken off, though, the whole team falters. Cam Reddish is going to take some time. Christian Woods is going to take some time to get acclimated to where you're best fit is in the offense as the season goes on. Jackson Hayes should be a lob threat, but they're not utilizing him. All the athleticism, system ain't doing nothing. And they talked about him highly in training camp. All this stuff is going to take time as the season progresses. I get that. I'm not saying this team is dead in the water. But what I am saying is that with Anthony Davis specifically, that is where most of this falls on. We get that other players didn't produce like DeLa. We get it. We understand. Problem is, we also understand that the what can cover most of those issues, and that's AD playing like AD. And in this game, Anthony Davis has still shown inconsistency. He literally showed inconsistency throughout half of the game. Great one half, abysmal the second half. If he was able to play like he played in the first half and the second half, when LeBron got out, they might have been up. They might have been in line to win this game when LeBron got subbed out. Potentially. And then now we see, okay, he's going to take both AD and LeBron to play longer, but we see Anthony Davis being able to play and carry the weight that he needs to. Now he can't even carry the weight in the 4-4 four half. It's a, it's a real problem for this team that Anthony Davis as being one of the premier stars on this roster consistently will not show up when necessary on a consistent basis. And when you play like this, you can't win. You just can't. So again, it is early. Again, we know stuff, growing pains happen. And again, we understand that as time goes on, we may see this turn into the team that we think this team can be. We may turn, see this turn into the, a continuation of the building process of the Lakers from last season when they turned on the Jets and really jailed as a whole unit that got to the Western Conference Finals, that beat Memphis Grizzlies, that beat the Warriors. That team, we could see that. We should see that team if everything happens like it's supposed to. Gel form mold and evolve into the final form of the Los Angeles Lakers, which is from all from all aspects, should be a championship continued squad. But if not, and we keep seeing performances like this from Anthony Davis specifically, there's gonna be another pipe dream for the Los Angeles Lakers. It's gonna be another season of smacking your head. Holding your, head, holding your face in your hands and asking why in the world is this the Lakers that we watch? Why in the world is this a team that, all, that seemingly should be successful consistently performing below average? One of the biggest reasons is going to be if that, in fact, is the story of the Lakers for the season. One of the biggest reasons will be because of Anthony Davis. He's got to step it up because this is inexcusable. It's ridiculous. It's stupid. And be perfectly honest. It's it's stupid. Cause it shouldn't be happening. Not for a player of his caliber. Not for a player that has his ability. Not for a player that should be one of the better players of the league in the league. A top ten player at his best that can't play consistently for half a season. Or rather for half a game. It doesn't make any sense at all. Will he build on it? I'm assuming so. Yes, it is only game one, but still concerns like this raise red flags that we don't want to have raised at the start of the season. For any team, especially for a team that is as potent and as watchable as the Los Angeles Lakers. Everything else was done to make your team successful. Now it's up to AD to be able to take the helms and do what he needs to do. Just face it. Anthony Davis is not going to be the the, the guy on this Lakers. We keep saying it needs to be overturned. We keep saying it needs to be it's not LeBron's team anymore. It's Anthony Davis' squad now. It's his turn to take up the helm and be the driving force. But right now it's looking like it's never gonna happen. Right now it's looking like it's never gonna happen. And even if it doesn't happen, they can still win. It just needs to be that Anthony Davis has to be a running mate. A consistent, dominant running mate. That's all he has to be. You can be the second best player on the team if you average 24 and 14 with great defense. That's phenomenal. That can still get this team to a championship. That can still do that. Problem is, can you even play up to that point? Who knows? We're just going to have to wait and see on the season. But right now, this, the Nuggets look dominant and the Lakers look incredibly concerning after game one. But it's 82 games. So we we'll have to see how time evolves from there. We're not making any overreactions, but we are pointing out concerns that should have been quelled in the offseason. And if they're, since they're not, we get loud because this is stuff that we were harping on as an issue for this team. Consistency from their main star. Growing pains are growing pains. Concern is concern when it comes to the rest of the team and how they will gel together. That is fine, but when it comes to AD, it's no. We, we there's no more time to be able to say, "Okay, he's going to eventually get there." You need to be there now because it makes no sense that LeBron, arguably the greatest player in NBA history, still is still being this dominant. At this age, and you being in the prime of your athletic career are not able to reach the same heights as him, or at least be comparable to him, it doesn't make any sense. It's not right. It shouldn't be from the second superstar on the squad. It just shouldn't be at all. It's up to him to make that change and be the consistent star that we know he can be, and that he needs to be in order for this team to actually get to a title. Because if he doesn't, we're going to look at a lot of disappointment, a lot of rah-rah from the rest of the NBA. And and the Nuggets ain't going to be the only fans chanting, who's your daddy? Everybody's going to be your daddy if you're Anthony Davis, if you keep playing like this. Because you playing like this leads to the Lakers getting nowhere. That's the reality of the situation. That's the reality of this whole ordeal. But moving on from the Lakers and Nuggets to the Warriors and Suns in a game of two very different-looking squads now playing against each other. Warriors and Suns played against each other, and the Suns look phenomenal to an extent. And I say to an extent because of Devin Booker. One of the biggest things about Devin Booker in this game, in the Suns beating the Warriors 108 to 104, we were questioning who was going to be the point guard for the squad. Somebody was going to be Bradley Beal. Again, the naturally smaller guy, smallest man out of the big three, has carried his team in multiple occasions. And, and they didn't go nowhere, but has been the vocal point of an offense for most of his career, especially after John Wall got injured and got traded, and him taking a big deal on the Wizards. 30-point-per-game score, has the ball in his hands for nearly all of his prime. Great. He should be the point guard for this team. All of a sudden, he can't play because of back soreness. We see Devin Booker get the ball, and we see this man just be a savant as a playmaker on top of having 32 points in the game. Shooting 13 for 21, nearly 50%. I think that might be over 50%. I might have my math on, but either way, had a phenomenal game. Got to the line. Got Reaver, six rebounds, eight assists, as well as a steal. Being the facilitator for this new look offense that's supposed to be incredibly top heavy, he made everybody be able to eat. He gave everybody great looks. And I was concerned about him being a playmaker because I, I didn't think that he had it in him to be able to be the vocal point of a distributor. Again, Bradley Beal was going to be that guy. Devin Booker being one of the better scorers in the entire league, I'm not going to call him Kobe. I'm not going to call him Kobe. But being one of the better scorers in the league who has taken attributes of how Kobe would score into his own game, but will never compare him to Kobe Bryant. Never. I'll tell you that right now. That's not disrespect, but I'm sick and tired of everybody calling this man Devin Booker or calling Devin Booker Kobe-esque in terms of comparing him to, oh, he's just, he's as good of a scorer. No. He hits turnaround Jays and scores from the mid-range. But he doesn't score. He doesn't score at the rate nor skill of Kobe Bryant. Nor does he have the defense of him. Nor does he have the competitive drafts. I'm not gonna call him Kobe. But I ain't gonna call him a superstar. I ain't gonna call this man one of the better scorers in the league. And I'm gonna call this man now showing me in game one. He is a multifaceted player. Not just a scorer, but a real facilitator. This man could be one of the well, not already was going to be one of the vocal points, but could be a very big difference maker in how this dominant offense can look once all three players are on the floor. Because this man had Eubanks, Nasir Little, and Yusuf Nurkic looking great. You two watching that got you two it's going through your five. Eric Gordon again had a dismal game, four of 16. But irregardless of which, the majority of people that he was able to dish to. Got open looks. Had a clutch assist at the end of the game to Yusuf Nurkic. Had a, it's a phenomenal play. Phenomenal. He could be that guy. He could. We could really see Devin Booker play point guard once Bradley, Bill, and Devin Booker, and KD all play together in a starting five. We really, We really could see that. And this could be one of the better offenses in the entire league. Not Unlike with the Brooklyn Nets, when they had Kyrie Harden and KD, this is a situation where they should have outside of Kevin Durant with his injury issues or injury concerns, we could have better health and have a a James Harden role-type player in Devin Booker who can be a dominant scorer but is healthier, able to play all season long, score closer to the rate that James Harden could score at his prime while still being a six to eight assist type of guy and the key playmaker for this team. this could be scary this really could be scary and mind you this is with KD having a abysmal scoring night seven of 22 only 18 points again by his standards this is abysmal this is horrible this is terrible we don't see this happen often from Kevin Durant but still this team was able to look cohesive and with Devin booker being able to take the reins and be that guy once they get everybody back specifically bradley bill gets back oh this thing can be a nightmare and we were thinking okay bottom of the barrel was going to be when they were scraping to get anybody to fill out the roster Oh, this scenes gonna look bad but no they actually look competent they can still be better don't get me wrong they still got a lot of holes in their team but a lot again like I said with Anthony Davis, a lot of holes on his roster can be covered up by dominant success from your best players. And Booker did just that. Took the scoring load on his own. But was the facilitator and the initiator for offense for the entirety of the team. On top of having Yusuf Nurkic being essentially a better piece for this Sun Squad than DeAndre Ayton ever could, despite DeAndre Ayton seemingly should have better skill set than Nurkic. Nurkic in the role that he plays as a rim protector, as a shot blocker, as a rebounder. Not looking to be a dominant scorer, playing his role as a role man off the pick and roll, and being a big body in size to get boards, keep possessions alive, and to essentially lock down the paint was dominant and was great. This man had 11, uh, no, excuse me, 14 rebounds and 14 points on 5-8 shooting. Legitimately, he was great. This is exactly the piece that d- that these sons need. Not somebody in Dodger Aiden who wants to be, again, a vocal point in scoring, but somebody who is willing and able and thrives in being in a role position. Being not the offensive focus, but the defensive anchor and understanding the assignment of, I'm a big guy that needs to dish when the stars are open and score when I have a mismatch. Plain and simple. And he did that to perfection. This team might surprise me in how far they can go. That yes, we've been saying that this team is built to be one of the better teams, and understandable. One of the biggest concerns is with them having to skate at the bottom of the barrel to get the rest of the team uh, 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 con- constructed with a team that was about at the cap space for the season and couldn't really sign anybody. Similarly, they had put themselves in the corner by giving everybody big contracts, Signing Eubanks, getting Watanabe, and filling out the rest of the roster look like, okay, this is going to be bad. But maybe not. Maybe this won't be as bad as we think. Maybe this team won't be as deficient outside of the Big 3 as I assumed they would be. And so this is going to be an interesting, interesting season to see how the, the Suns are going to play out. And once, again, as the season progresses, once this team in roster is better acclimated and more comfortable and everybody's able to play on the floor once Bradley Beal comes back and when Kevin Durant gets out of this very brief scoring slump, because we don't think KD's going to play like this for the rest of the season. We know he's not going to play like this for the rest of the season. We could be seeing potentially in this Sun squad what the Nuggets, not Nuggets, what the Nets should have been when KD and Kyrie were there. Very well, that's what we could see. We could see what actually should have been a complete, lengthy, healthy, consistent, dominant scoring trio that we thought Harden, KD, and Kyrie were going to be in Brooklyn. That's very well well what we could see coming out of the Suns this season. And on the flip side with the Warriors, with them losing this game, again, Time will tell, stuff's going to change, we get that. We're going to keep practicing that as this whole show goes on because it's only the first game of the season. Steph Curry played phenomenal. Steph Curry played great. Steph Curry played like Steph Curry. Played like the best point guard in the game. Played like the Curry that we've been accustomed to. But we, even with that being the case, something was a tad off with this Warriors squad. And no, it's not just... uh Draymond Green being out no it wasn't that though it did have an effect and I'm gonna get on that but in reality does this team look older does this team seem older and by older I'm not talking about okay yeah everybody's getting older I'm talking about the way that they play does this team seem not the same in terms of the explosive offense that we know this team can be accustomed to that we've experienced for the entirety of this Warriors dynasty, again, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just the fact that we are in a new season. Everything's getting acc- acclimated. Maybe it was just because it's late at night and I was and in, in, in stuff. Time seemed to slow down uh, because of the love of the game. But regardless of which, there was something different about this Warriors squad. They don't look the same. Doesn't seem like they have the same umph as we've seen in the past from the Golden State Warriors. Even despite them having a great third quarter like we know that they always have, seemingly, stuff seemed off. And again, like I said before, I know Jermon Green's out. I understand the effect that he has on the offense. I get what he does for that team to be able to make them a fluid offensive squad and a dynamic force that can be somehow always on. Always a threat to have some big run and can pile on points like few teams have ever seen or a few teams have ever done in NBA history at such a rapid rate. He has been the hub of making that offense flow so seamless. Him being out may have had a may have had a objective effect on that, but just as a whole, this team doesn't have the same punch doesn't have that same feeling. It just feels like maybe we're seeing stuff wind down for this team. Is it early to say? Absolutely. That doesn't mean that doesn't need to be said as something to watch for. Because outside of Steph Curry, nobody else really had a great game on this Warriors squad. And even Steph himself had, by his own standards, a very poor shooting night. 4-14 from three. 8 of 20 from the field. Klay Thompson, 6 of 18. Chris Paul, 4 of 14. Wiggins, 4 of 12. It it just doesn't seem there. Something seems off. I can't put my finger on it. But it feels like the mojo of the Warriors just isn't what it used to be. Though the core pieces are still there. And one of the core pieces is coming back as the season goes on. And to a degree, it might be because of Chris Paul. With all respect to Chris Paul, being the point guard, being one of the greatest point guards in history, pairing him with Steph Curry to make one of the, I guess, smartest backcourts back, back courts that we've seen in the NBA in quite some time. With his play style, it may be what's affecting the squad to have not the same rolling rhythm that we've seen them have. Because Chris Paul is a guy that plays a little more methodical. Not a little, a lot more methodical. With the ball in his hands, he will dribble out the clock. He will look for the optimal position and rather not force passes through, but force the best opening to happen rather than just allowing it to happen like the Warriors normally do with their free-flowing offense. We could see a situation as the season progresses. We see Chris Paul potentially being a detriment to this Warriors squad. At least, at minimum, getting out of that starting lineup. At minimum, get p- not playing with Steph Curry for the rest of the season as a, in terms of as a starter on the floor. I don't think this is going to work. That very well could be why I'm saying this team looks older, looks slower, looks not as in sync. You know I'm not, not, not. not not in sync, excuse me. I'm not saying that they're not in sync. I'm saying that it doesn't have the same comfortability that we've seen from the Warriors in their offense as we've seen in years past. It just feels different to me. And I think he's the primary suspect. Get Chris Paul out of the starting line and put him on a bench, have him leave the second unit, and play less alongside Steph Curry? We can see something great. Now we can see this team potentially reaches just full potential. But until then, until we see that change happen, if we see that change happen, right now we have to say this Golden State Warriors team doesn't seem like they'll be able to reach the heights that this team on paper should be able to reach. Which is at least a second round in the playoffs. That's what I had them as. If I was going to pick this team to go far, it would be second round of the playoffs and then get bounced in a fairly competitive game or get swept. But now, they might struggle in the first round with how they're looking right now. Again, it's the first game of the year. I understand. But something doesn't feel right about this Warriors squad. Something feels different and it's in a bad way. We could see that change come for the better when Draymond Green gets back in the lineup. Fine. Still doesn't change the fact that we're seeing Clay Thompson not shoot like Clay Thompson. It still doesn't change the fact that we're seeing Andrew Wiggins, even after the, the, the playoffs that he had last year, not playing up to par. Doesn't change the fact that Kaminga, with everything that he did again, four for six on the game, getting a bigger role, which I, I anticipated him getting on this team as his career has progressed. Being again committing fouls left, right, and center. And the depth of this team not being great. It's really telling that this warrior squad potentially is on the downward trend of their of the heights of their dynasty. Even after just winning a championship a couple years ago. Because defensively they can be exposed. And offensively, they don't have at least again in game one, they didn't show the first. Lights of, okay, we're an offense that can still run with anybody. While he had that capacity to, it seems like to be able to reach that capacity isn't where it normally is as a Warrior squad. And to a degree, this game was close. You could argue in part because Bradley Beal was out. And Kevin Durant had an uncharacteristic bad game. You give this game with Kevin Durant playing like Kevin Durant, Instead of having 18, he gets 27 on the game. And instead of only shooting 7 for, was it, 18, 7 for 20, he instead shoots 10 for 14. Or even better, 14 for 18. Those types of numbers, then this gains a blowout. For i being perfectly honest, for being perfectly honest, this game should have been a blowout if Kevin Durant played like Kevin Durant can play. With Yusuf Durkic playing well, Josh Okogie playing phenomenal defensively and offensively, Devin Booker being who Devin Booker was. If Kevin Durant had was had stepped up and played like we know the Kevin Durant of old, or rather the Kevin Durant of last season, can play? On a consistent basis, oh yeah, this game would have been a blowout. We could have seen this game one oh four to, to one fifteen, wouldn't have been as close. It wouldn't have came down to the wire. It wouldn't have came down to Devin Booker making a last minute dime, phenomenal pass. But even still, it wouldn't have came down to a one score game potentially. The game probably would have been over about two minutes into the fourth quarter. This offense of the Warriors, which has been one of the driving forces for why they're so successful, because we know defensively they have. They have Stagnated, or rather gone down, especially with Draymond Green's age. It used to be that they were both great defensively and offensively. Now that's not the case anymore. Offense is what's been able to make them so lethal. Now, with Jordan Poole gone, Draymond Green getting older, Clay Thompson not playing at the same level that he needs to play, that that we know he can play as. It's been the same way for a couple years, if we're being perfectly honest and Steph Curry being the only bright light that we saw in this offense, at least for this game one, this continues, Warriors are going to have a bad season. Warriors going to have a very bad, very concerning, Warriors going to have a very concerning season this year. Things are looking not great for the outlook for this season. Can they turn it around? Absolutely. But right now, this Chris Paul trade or signing that they did may not be the best thing for this Warriors squad. And in the long run, with how they normally like to play, now they normally are successful with him playing in the style that he likes to play. And what the Warriors saying, we want Chris Paul to play like Chris Paul. That could be a detriment to what this Warriors squad can actually achieve. Because now the biggest weapon, which is being a dynamic, fast, three-point shooting offense, is going to be hindered by somebody who thrives at being methodical. It just doesn't gel well, or and doesn't speak well for what can potentially happen with this team going forward. Could it change? Absolutely. because I don't doubt Chris Paul is adaptable, but that doesn't mean that the growing pains are gonna be very severe. And if the growing pains never stop, it's gonna be a hard season for the Warriors and hard season for Warriors fans to watch as this unfolds. And more and more, we can see this team potentially fall into the realm of, oh, this is no longer a title contender. This is no longer potentially even a playoff contender against any of the relevant teams in the West. That's exactly what we could be saying about the Warriors. But again, it's only game one. As time goes on, we will see exactly what this season has in store for the rest of the NBA. And I can't wait to see it because it's going to be incredibly exciting. You're going to be able to catch it all right here on the Welch Report as well as, don't forget, we're can't. We going to see Victor Wembanyama play against Dallas tonight. That's going to be phenomenal. And as the season unfolds, every team with all their moves are going to be found to see what they can actually achieve as the season unfolds for the entirety of the NBA, and i can't wait to see it my goodness it's going to be exciting to watch you'll be sure to always be tuned in on this show but now for the final segment of this episode of the watch what we have to discuss the world of boxing with francis and and tyson fury fighting this saturday and with that being the case since we're talking about boxing we have to talk about combat sports as a whole and since that's the case it's time to step into the ring Yes, sir. Ring the bell. Let's get it started. Round one and the only round of this portion of the show going on the way. We got Ter- Fury versus Ngannou in an exhibition, I think it's an exhibition bout. And Saudi, uh, is it in Dubai? Saudi Arabia? Saudi Arabia. In a mega event, a mega fight. Who's going to win? What is going to be the outcome of this fight? How in the world can Francis Ngannou win and what will this fight inevitably unfold to after it's all said and done, depending on the outcome. And of course, let's get it out of the way right now. I have no shot in thinking that Francis Ngannou can win this fight. There is no real way I can see Francis Ngannou having success in winning against Tyson. There just isn't. It just isn't. The D we're, were one of two heavyweight champions in the world right now in, in arguably... The best heavyweight in the world, in many people's eyes, in my opinion, is to Usyk, but that's you here nor there. One of the two best heavyweights in the world, a defining fighter of his era, still in quote unquote, quote, the prime of his career, or at least in the prime of his resurgence of his career. And now that we see this happening in this fight with Francis Ngannou, this should be easy work. It should be light work for him. It should be no Real qualms as to what's going to happen with Francis Ngannou. It should be very, fairly simple to see this fight go and end in knockout. What's going to happen? Probably we're going to see. This is my breakdown of the fight. Probably we're going to see Tyson Fury come in, dance, not even dance a little bit, box for about the first three rounds, gas and ganu out. And then in round four, round five, step forward and then really try to put the hurt on him or excuse me, not try, really put the hurt on Francis Ngannou, and then by round six, get him out of there. Most likely. Most likely, get him out of there. And if it does go to a decision, it'll be a full unanimous decision for for Tyson Fury. We'll be full for Tyson Fury. Because Tyson Fury's got every advantage. Reach, weight, footwork, speed, stamina, boxing IQ, punch selection. Evasiveness, ring presence, and ring generalship—he can do the every. It just, it's, too high of, it's just too high. It's just too high level. And I respect Francis Ngannou. Love Francis Ngannou. But it's just too high of a level. This is great for Francis Ngannou to get paid what he should have gotten paid in UFC, making money, making ends meet, providing for his family, generational wealth from this fight alone and to be frank this could be a blessing for Francis Ngannou because after this fight takes place we could see him go back to MMA in the PLF or whatever world he chooses to fight after his contract's up for that but right now it's for the PLF we could see him become a striking genius in the octagon because of his heightened boxing ability training for this fight with Tyson Fury training with Ty- Mike Tyson himself in training camp leading up to this fight we could see an evolved striker back in the MMA world become an even greater force in the combat sports world he is best at. We We could see a more dominant Nganu after this fight in MMA. A dominant reigning champion who is an even more fearsome striker with this training camp dedicated to boxing one of the best heavyweights in the world. That's what we could see. And it could turn him into a real unstoppable beast in the MMA. Because the stand-up at that point will be, my goodness, it would be insane. Somebody who's already one of the the most terrifying strikers in the MMA world, it would be ridiculous to watch. And I can't wait to see it. But for this fight specifically, no, he doesn't have a shot. Or excuse me, he's only got a punter's chance like every fighter does. Because in fighting, only one shot takes, one shot is all it takes to make anybody go night-night. To go to sleep. That's it. That's it. One bang and it's done. And you're out of there. Finito, it's over. Especially at the heavyweight division. We understand that. So, yes, he does have a shot. Let me be frank. He does have a shot. He can knock out Mike Tyson. Uh, excuse me. He can knock out Tyson Fury. My apologies. It's possible. It's just so slim. It's not non-existent. But there is a chance. How would he do it? The overhand right. One of the biggest things about Tyson Fury is the fact that, again, he's been able to get caught by smaller fighters before. And with the same punch, the overhand right. After level changing or after going to the body. Knocked him down early in his career. Gave him trouble for other fighters as his career went on. And this could be a real situation where Going up against a smaller Francis Ngannou. Now, again, granted, when I say small, I'm talking about height. And relativity are actually closer than I expected in terms of when they step into the ring with each other. But with Francis Ngannou being a smaller man, we could see a situation where that overhand right comes from an angle that he doesn't see coming. And with his MMA background, those angles are even more unpredictable which is one of the biggest reasons why Engano even has a chance in this fight with him being an MMA fighter and coming from an MMA background. It allows for different angles to come about when it comes to how they strike. doesn't mean that it's going to work, but it does mean that it's something different, something new, something not seen consistently in the boxing world. Hence, it can give some people trouble. It can. Not saying it will. saying it has the possibility to. But we've seen MMA come and over with boxing, especially with the YouTube we've seen, like with Jake Paul, like with KSI and others, and it never worked out. I think it's going to be the same for this fight, especially with, again, going up against a world champion. Now, if Tyson Fury chooses to make this fight some semblance of competition by willingly going and making this competitive, letting Francis Ningano have an opportunity to land, getting too showboating, getting too brash. We could see this happen. We could see him get caught, and then something insane happens. Something utterly world-shocking just occurs, and we see him get clipped and potentially knocked down because Francis Nganu does have the power to do so. We could see him try to make this too much of a show in terms of Tyson Fury and get caught by Francis Nganu. And then all of a sudden the tides turn, stuff ships. Now there's some real concern, or it could be a one here to quit it. While we know that's most likely not going to happen, because Tyson has gotten up from the greatest right hand that boxing has ever seen in Deontay Wilder multiple times. We know he can't be put down by somebody with similar levels of power. Now, granted with everything that I say about Deontay Wilder, which is valid in his technical ability, he is a master of delivering his right hand, specifically off the jet. The one-two of, of of Deontay Wilder is sublime because of what you want to say about the rest of his boxing ability. And that's something that, Francis instance, Ngannou has not mastered yet. So that could be a situation, especially with the, the speed that, that Deontay Wilder has at his disposal, that Nganou does not. Yeah, it's most likely it's not going to land. But again, we have seen crazy things happen in the world of combat sports. But I don't think we're going to see that happen in this fight. And we'll see French Ng- Francis Ngannou lose, get knocked out, or get just beat for all 12 rounds in this fight. And we see Tyson Fury go and win it easily. No, just, just not disrespect. It's not bad. It's just a fact of life. I don't think Tyson Fury is going to not make quick work of Francis Ngannou. And if he does draw this out to be a show, it's gonna be, be putting him in more danger than he needs to be. And he doesn't need to put himself in more danger than necessary, especially at this stage in his career, especially what's coming down the pipe potentially after this fight, because what this fight happening, which brings me to actually the last point of the show, excuse me for forgetting, the legitimate last point of this show, what this can potentially lead to after this fight is Tyson Fury versus Ole Gunnar Usyk in December. Two months after this fight takes place. An undisputed heavyweight championship belt could potentially be right around the corner. Hence, Tyson Fury doesn't have time to play around. He doesn't. Because something that is going to affect his legacy is right on the cusp of happening. In fact, if he loses this fight, his legacy is going to be tarnished. People are going to be saying that people people will be saying that he should be stripped of the heavyweight title because he lost. Plain and simple, he's not the real heavyweight champion. That's what he's not a real heavyweight champion. That's what people will be saying if in fact he does lose. Shoot, if this fight is close in any way, shape, or form, people will be saying, "Well, yeah, now I got Usyk winning because he look at what happened against somebody like Francis Ngannou. If he keeps this fight competitive, it shifts the whole narrative of what could potentially happen for the next fight or with Alexander Usyk or makes that fight impossible entirely. That's exactly what could happen. There is a lot of risk to this fight in fighting Francis Ngannou. Yes, it's, it's, it's an easy fight, but there is still risk. Unnecessary risk, if I'm being completely honest. Because of what you, as a fighter, are trying to do and what we as fans want to see, which is become undisputed champion. Whether you win it or whether you lose it is up to you in the ring. But we want to see you in the ring. We don't want to jeopardize that with a loss to somebody that hasn't even boxed before. Or that has boxed very, very, very early in their life and is now getting back into it like with Francis Ngannou. If you didn't know Francis Ngannou boxed, Early on in his life. Before getting into MMA. And then when getting pushed to MMA. Stayed in MMA. And dominated when he got to the MMA. And the UFC. And now in the PLF. Or PFL excuse me. But this is a risk. That we don't want to see taken. Because of what's potentially down the line. The fight that we really want to see. The heavyweight. Undisputed championship. On the line. With every belt up for grabs, and to cap off one of the greatest years in boxing that we've seen. We can't let that slip away from us. Most likely it's not going to because, of again, I got Tyson Fury winning, most likely by knockout in the sixth, seventh round. But regardless of that, what will we this this is still this fight is something that if we're being perfectly honest should not have happened. This should be a fight that should have happened after he retired, not during his career. Yes, we know other fighters have taken exhibition bouts before, like Muhammad Ali. We get that. We understand that. But the timing at which he took it is not where we're at right now in Tyson Fury's career. It is not a you're on the cusp of we're not in a situation where Muhammad Ali's taking that fight with Antonio Inoki in a boxing ex wrestling match when he's in line to fight the uh, the the other heavyweight champion in Joe Frazier. This isn't for this isn't before the fight of the century for the undisputed title against a fighter that, been, that now has the championship when you got stripped of a title. Now trying to figure out who's the real champion. This isn't a fight before that. This isn't This isn't before one of the most significant moments in your career in terms of the fight that, that potentially will come up. That's not when Ali fought that fight. That's when you're fighting this fight in terms of Tyson Fury. And we hate it as fans. We don't want to see that, but it's happening regardless. And I hope it ends, and I think it's going to end, in Tyson Fury winning by knockout, In a very simple fashion If he doesn't box him He'll stand in the middle Let Nganu tire himself out And then go for the kill Or he'll box him For 12 rounds And then just end the fight On unanimous decision Either way This fight Is a precursor For better or for worse To the biggest Heavyweight event In the past 20 something years In the past 23 years the undisputed title, could be on the line and could be legitimately fought for come December after this fight. Because apparently they've been behind closed doors, they've been agreeing to stuff, and now stuff is slated to happen, potentially. We'll see when it's confirmed. If it's confirmed, or if it doesn't happen at all, we will definitely find out. But I'll be tuning in do have Mahmoudov fighting another up-and-coming, very powerful, very interesting heavyweight on the card on Saturday night for Tyson Veer Rich, Francis Ngannou. All that's gonna be happening and we're gonna cover it on this episode when the time comes next week, trust and believe. But with that being said, this has been another episode of The Welch Report with me, Jean-Luc Welch. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining into the show. Please share the show with everybody that you know. Leave a like on the video. Comment, thoughts, and opinions. Subscribe to the channel and share again with everybody so we can build this empire together. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for so much of your time. Again, let's make this empire grow by making everybody known that this is the place to be. This is the best community in all of the sports world. Man, I've been Jean-Luc Y'all have been beautiful. Y'all have been wonderful. Until the next episode, peace and and love, we are out of here.